<laughs> Good morning. Hope everyone is doing well today. If you wouldn't mind, please, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you have a mobile device with you, a smartwatch or a phone watch, probably not on your watch, but on your phone, uh, feel free to look there as well. You can Google 2 Corinthians 11, and it'll bring you right where we'll be today. And as you're turning there, I have one other announcement I want to make. Didn't want to make this before the offering. I just ask you to pray about this. So when we set the budget for the church, we set it based on a 52-week year. Makes sense, right? How many weeks are in a year? 52. How many weekends does that make? 52, unless you have a snowstorm. So we lost one weekend off of this year's um, giving, off of this year's budget. So what I'd like to ask you to do is, would you prayerfully consider, for those of you who either give regularly or maybe you haven't before, uh, that one weekend we lost, we kind of need to make up for it. We knew going into this year with the downtown launch that it's a little bit tighter. We were running a little more snug than we used to, and we, we budgeted accordingly. But then you take a full week off of what you already budgeted tight. So would you prayerfully consider maybe um, this week, next week, the week after, maybe over a couple of weeks, if just helping out with some of that to help us catch up that one week that we lost. That'd be greatly appreciated. So thank you. If you have any questions, please feel free to come up and ask afterwards as well. So we're in a series right now entitled Hope. And over the last two weeks, we've been looking at points in Scripture where people just seem to have or should have had no hope until Jesus comes on the scene. And we've looked at points in life when it seemed like there were no answers until Jesus came on the scene. Today's going to be a little different twist. What does it look like when you're holding out for hope and you don't get the answer you wanted? Things don't break the way you had been praying for. The check is not in the mail. The doctor's report is not good. The report card is not what you were hoping for. The job opportunity did not come through. Everything went wrong. There's a a song that's out right now. I like the song, love the video. It's called God's Plan. Anybody know God's Plan? Anyone heard it? Okay, some of you have. So in this song, God's Plan, they they were going to make the music video for it, and the budget for the video was $996,631.90. So they took the budget for this video, and they said, instead of making a million-dollar video, let's give a million dollars away. Awesome idea. And if you ever watch, get the chance to watch the video, you can tell where they went. It wasn't a, just purely set up for this. They went into a grocery store in an incredibly poor area of Haitian Miami. And they said to everyone in this grocery store, your entire grocery bill is paid for. Put whatever you want in the cart. All these little kids are running around throwing stuff in. Moms and dads throwing stuff in. They give $50,000 to the school in inner city area for after school programs. Uh, There's a single mom and her teenage son. There's a child in a wheelchair. They just walk up and this this child's in this wheelchair and they they give them two stacks of $100 bills, $10,000 worth. How many of you know that's a good day? There's a family, the dad's unemployed, he's sitting with the kids, found out later it's outside of an unemployment office, they just pull up in a golf cart and say, bam, $10,000, there you go. That's a good day. There's a homeless shelter, there's a battered woman's shelter, they go in and they, they, they give a large check for the, for the battered women's shelter, $50,000 uh, to the, the shelter, and then they take all the kids of these abusive homes on a shopping spree and say, we're going to buy you all the toys. 
giving away a million dollars. They gave away cars to college students who were having to walk everywhere. There's a church right down in, in this area of Miami where they were, and they helped to pay for after-school care programs and pay for an addition to the church, just giving the money away. It puts a lump in my throat every time I see it, and you can tell these people are grateful for the money. They just burst into tears. They've probably been praying for this. They've probably been hoping for this, for provision, for a miracle, for an answer to prayer. And all of a sudden, it's happening. But then how many other people, maybe in the same neighborhoods, are praying for the same thing and don't get the check? They're waiting for a clean bill of health, and it hasn't come in yet. Same with the the report card. They're holding out for hope, but they're not getting the answers they want. Can we trust Jesus even if we're not getting what we want in the situation? Can we still keep our hope in Christ and see God's plan at work, even when it doesn't match our plan? A great example of this is throughout the life of the Apostle Paul. Now we're going to read one passage to kind of jump into this, and then we're going to look at several different things that Paul wrote uh, in example of this. He gives up everything to follow Jesus. If you don't know Paul's life, you can read about it in the book of Acts. But um, he gives up everything. He gives up notoriety. He gives up position. He gives up favor. He gives up everything to wholeheartedly follow God's plan. And it's anything but easy. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 21. It says, Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind for talking like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 40 lashes would kill you. So they would take one lash away. Five times he went through this. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from fellow Jews, in dangers from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else I face daily, the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? For every person who has ever told you that the walk with Christ, the Christian walk, is a cakewalk, send them to this verse. Because we love to think that if I just have Jesus, everything is unicorns and cotton candy. But that's not the case. And what if God's plan isn't an easy road? This guy has not only been through it, but for all he does for God, he just doesn't seem to get the ball to bounce his way. If you go on to the next chapter... Flip over one page to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick up reading at verse 7. It says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was giving a thorn in the flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about all my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I haven't seen too many bumper stickers with that part. I delight in my weaknesses, my hardships, my persecutions, and my difficulties for Jesus. How do you keep hope when it feels like nothing's going right? How do you keep hope when, you know, if if all things were fair and good, I live a good life, I do just fine, I'm following Jesus, why can't I get the answers I want? How do you believe in a God who can take this tortuous situation that I'm asking him to get rid of, and his response to me is, nope, my grace will be sufficient for you. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas are put in prison. In Acts 19, there's a riot in Ephesus, the city that he's in, where they're trying to tear him apart. In Acts 20, he's put in jail and left there for two years because they were waiting for him to bribe them to get him out. No charges that would have stuck. In Acts 25 and 26, he's put on trial before the leader. His name was Festus. And once again, no charges stuck. What did they do? They put him back in jail again, waiting for a bribe. In Acts 27, he's put on a boat and sent to Rome to go to trial. And on that boat, they end up in a storm where they don't see the sun for days. It says the sea is so bad they can't even eat. And God tells Paul, and Paul tells everyone on the boat, Good news! Nobody's going to die. Now the whole ship is going to be ripped to shreds. That's like being on an airplane and someone saying, good news, we're going to live, but the airplane is going to fall apart in the air. What do you do when it just feels like everything is going wrong? In Acts chapter 28, he ends up stranded on an island called Malta. You can Google it. It's still called Malta today. It's still there. And he's gathering wood, trying to help people get a fire started. And a poisonous snake latches onto his arm. Can't something go right? And all the people on the island are like, yeah, he must have been a murderer. Look, God's getting him somehow. And then he doesn't die. So then he goes from a murderer and they go, oh, he must be a god. That's a pretty good like, job shift in uh, a short amount of time. It's a good promotion. Has anyone else ever looked at this walk for Jesus and thought to yourself, maybe just for a second, I don't know if this is what I signed up for. I don't know if this is what I was holding out for. I got to wonder if Paul ever felt that way. I wonder if Paul ever thought, I'm just going to quit. Sickness, shipwrecks, snake bites, death of loved ones, threats on his own life. And even the Christians he was trying to care for and love started turning their back on him. God seems to do things for everyone else. What about me in this cell? Now Paul has a weird way of viewing all of this. Because of that, he just always seems to have hope. First of all, and this is the first blank on the outline, Paul realizes it's not all about himself. It's not all about himself. In 2 Corinthians one eight, um, Second Corinthians 1, starting at verse 8, it says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. 
We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. No matter what trial Paul is going through, he just has this way of understanding, I'm not in this for me. I'm not doing this for me. My hope isn't that I get my way. My hope is that God is honored and glorified and known. He goes on to say at the end of verse 10, On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. If it's not all about ourselves, then it's all on him. And he is faithful. He is good. He is true. He is right. Paul gets this. There's something that's a bigger picture than just me and what I want. There's something that's a bigger picture than you and what you want. And our culture that says, well, if you want it, just do it. If it feels good, it's okay. If everyone else is all right with it and it makes me happy, hey, kuna matata. But Paul has a different way of viewing it. Paul says, let's start instead with God being God and not us. And what does he want? Because he'll follow through and we can find our hope that he will be good and he will be faithful to accomplish his end. There's something bigger than us. I lived outside of Cleveland, Ohio for a little while in a pretty rough section of Cleveland. (coughs) And I had moved there. Uh, because I had been serving in a church, things fell apart, didn't end well. I mean, I got out, name intact, we got out in time, but and things kind of fell apart. So I'm living with my in-laws. That's all I'll say. Living with my in-laws. Um, I was delivering pizzas on the weekends and doing a job in the morning, and then I was teaching school during the day in a, in a uh, kind of a troubled school in the Cleveland area. I loved the kids. I was also coaching two sports in the high school. I loved the coaching. But I hit one day in particular, it was a pity party. I know no one else has pity parties, right? I'm the only one. So I'm in this pity party mode, and it's like, God, why have you forgotten about me? Why'd you put me here? It's Cleveland, you know? And I'm in Cleveland, and, and I'm, this, the, this particular night, there was a prayer night at the church we were attending, and I went, and I just took my pity party right into the prayer night, and I sat my pity party self right down in the seat. <sighs> because no one understands hardship like I do. I have a job and a wife who loves me and in-laws who are paying the bills and I'm, you know, and, but no one has it as bad as I do. And as I'm sitting there, this lady named Ruthie comes up, taps me on the shoulder and says, is there anything I can be in agreement and prayer with you on? Now the thing about Ruthie, first of all, in this very racially torn area of Cleveland, Ohio, This middle-aged African-American lady comes up to this young 20-something white guy and says, how do I pray for you? I found out later that her husband and her son had fallen victim to the drugs and the gangs of that part of the city. But yet she knew God was bigger than any problem she faced. She knew God was bigger than any problem I faced. And no matter what was going on around her, she had no problem pressing in for anybody else. Why? Because the world is so much bigger than our understanding. It's bigger than what we want. Had a bigger picture of God. It's not about us. As a matter of fact, 
The God we serve and set our hope on is so much bigger than what we go through. Can you just tell the person beside you, my God is so big. My God is so big. My God is so big. What are you going through right now? Because whatever it is, it's tiny. Because my God is so big. What are you tempted with right now that goes against God's word? Because whatever it is, it can be handled. Why? Because my God is so big. And Paul understood this. Paul understood this. It's bigger than himself. And because of that, this is the next blank, Paul's hope and purpose was grounded in the focus of his faith in Christ and his calling to serve God no matter what. Paul's focus was on his faith in Christ and his calling to serve God no matter what. I'm going to give you three statements right here that probably won't rock your world, but they're truths I think we need to understand moving forward with this. First of all, as we've already discussed with Paul, life is not easy. It is not always fair. And it never will be. The world owes you nothing. It was here first. Life is not easy. Secondly, does that surprise anyone? Is anyone like, what? I didn't know that. Anyone? Good. Secondly, culture is not going to be warm and fuzzy for you just because you choose to live a God-honoring life embracing biblical truth. They're not going to let you go to the front of the line. (gasps) You believe the Bible? Well, come on up here. You don't have to pay taxes. You're a Christian. Not going to happen. This world will not get easier because of that. And thirdly, I hate to say this, but sometimes church people who claim to be the representatives of Christ don't do the best job of representing Christ. Life can get tough. If you're waiting for all three of these things that I just said to happen in opposite effect, you're going to wait for a long time. This world is not going to give you a big old warm fuzzy hug. Hope that goes with a life devoted to purpose of God is the only hope we have. Philippians chapter 1 Beginning at the last part of verse 18, it says, Paul writes, he says, Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. That's better. I'd rather check out of this world and just go be with Jesus. Verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul understands, you know, there's a lot of easier ways to deal with things, but I'm not here for easy. I'm here for faithfulness. I'm here for service to God. Paul's goal is to live in a way that honors God. Keep your focus right and hope will remain. I want you to hear this. It's better to win trusting God than lose fearing man. 
Don't live in fear. Live in honor and trust of God. I did a retreat last summer for a church in central Wisconsin, a group of men, and one of the guys who was at the retreat was actually dying of cancer. They'd given him a very small window to live. He still had children at home. And on the last day of the retreat, they were asked to share, what did God show you? What are you going through? What's life kind of presenting now that God has given you an answer to maybe on the weekend? And he got up, and everyone there knew his story, and you could tell the, the cancer had really ravaged his body, and, and his, you know, his, he had lost his hair, and we, he and I joked about that, obviously. Um, but as he got up, he held a coin, and he held it really close to his eye. And he said, for so long, cancer is all I've been able to see. Everything else around me has been affected by this, by this one thing in my life. And then he took the coin and he threw it to the back of the room. And he said, obviously, this is still in my life, but my focus is a lot bigger than the problem. I want to challenge you. Whatever it is you feel like you're not getting the answer to, don't make it the coin so close to your eyes that it's blocking everything else God has for you in the moment. Every other thing, you may see one or two things while God is at work in 10,000 things around you. Paul recognized that. He knew it wasn't about him. He knew it was a calling to be faithful to Christ, and that was the top shelf stuff. With these first two points in mind, this third one almost becomes a no-brainer. This is the third blank on your outline. Paul understands that even problems serve a purpose. Even problems serve a purpose. Now I want you to think about this. The word hope. If you think about the word hope, it is in contradiction to your circumstances. You don't need hope when things are going well. Hope usually comes in contradiction to what's going on around you. Doesn't it make sense that by the very nature of when you need hope, that it's in contradiction? Usually when you're trying to hold out or muster up, it's because something's going wrong. Paul recognizes this, but he's quick to point out that he's pushing all the chips to the middle of the table and going all in on hope because even his challenges prove to be part of God's plan. Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, Paul writes, he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for what Jesus has done for us. Verse 2, it says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So let's follow this process. Suffering produces perseverance. You can't quit. You've got to press through. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Because in perseverance, you choose not to cheat. You choose to trust what God may be up to. And in perseverance, character. And character, hope. Hope, because we're not going to take it into our own hands. We're going to trust God in the process that he's doing. We're not going to try and force results at someone else's expense. 
We're going to believe that God is more than able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask, think, or imagine. Functioning in character will point us to hope. And this uh, hope, while not promising that I'll get all that I want, will also, as Paul says, not put us to shame. It's about God's plan and not ours. I'm not understanding all right now, but I have to remember who does. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. It says, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Anybody else think patience is a four-letter word? I mean, it's not. It's more than four. But it's like, oh, my word. In my life, it's not my strength. We'll leave that for another message. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. As we talked about earlier, Paul said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away from me. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made presence, uh, made perfect in your weakness. If the devil's fighting you so hard on something, don't quit. Hang around and see what it is that God's up to that the enemy's trying to thwart, kill, knock off, sidetrack you from, pull you away from, entice you or lure you from. Persevere, build character, hold on to hope. Walking by faith is the only way sometimes you make it. Faith needs to be strongest when our fears are the loudest. Our faith needs to be strongest when our doubts are flying the highest. Live a life of faith. Paul had a hope resume. Paul could go back, as we saw in 2 Corinthians 11, and say, look, I've been close to death. I've been naked. I've been broke. I've been beaten. I've been abandoned. I've been uh, just heart-wrenched. I've been shipwrecked. I've been snake-bit. Look at my resume. God has been faithful. Can I tell you something? Each one of us can have a, a hope resume. I've been sick, but I made it. I've been broke, but I made it. I've been rejected, but I made it. I've been scared, but I made it. I've been anxious, but I made it. I've been heartbroken, but I made it. I've had to go through things. I've had to say no to things. I've had to let go of temptations, but I made it. Each of us in the struggles where we allow our roots to go deep are building a hope resume. Don't quit on it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, the second half. Paul writes, he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, a lot of times we see that verse taken so out of context. Because what Paul is saying here isn't that I can do I can't jump right now and land on the moon. Can't do it. I know that surprises you, but I can't do it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What's Paul saying here? Paul says I can be on a mountaintop or I can be in a valley. I can be in a point of celebration or I can be in a point of crying out in desperation. But I can make it because I can endure. 
I can endure all things that I go through in this life. Why? Because of Christ who gives me strength. I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. You're building your resume. You're building your portfolio. You're building on your experience. Have you ever had a job that was an entry-level job? That when you go to the next job, everything you learned on that first job just kind of transferred over? And maybe you stepped in and knew how to do something because of the first job you have? The same thing happens when we go through experiences in life. You go through something, a hardship, a heartache, and then you watch someone else go through it. You made it, and you can go, honey, you can do this too. I've been there. I've done that. Got the t-shirt. Got the scars. You can make this. You can endure all things through Christ who gives you strength. The last passage I want to read, Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Starting at be joyful, can we read those three things together that Paul Paul challenges us to? You ready? Be joyful on three. One, two, three. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Can we read it one more time? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Does one of those three apply to you right now? Are you in a place where you're holding out hope and it doesn't seem like you're getting an answer and Paul goes, hey, even if you're not getting the answer, be joyful in hope because you know the one to hope in. It's who we hope in, not just what we hope for. Be patient in affliction. Are you in a spot of affliction right now? It may be physical, it may be mental, it may be emotional, it may be spiritual, it may be relational, but it is just tearing you up. Paul says, be patient in the affliction. And then finally he says, finally he says, be faithful in prayer. And that is the source of power for the first two to happen. Be faithful in prayer. The reason we do the Immerse Nights coming up isn't just so we can sing a few more songs or have a quiet place to come and sit. It's because we understand prayer is the battlefield. It's not preparation for the battle. It is the battle. Be faithful in prayer.